Well, today we've made our way through the Gospel of Luke to chapter 15, so I invite you to join with me in reading from chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. We're going to read 11 through 24, 11 through 24. There are three parables in this one chapter of Luke, and each of these talks about lost and found. Uh, the first parable is about the lost sheep that was found. Uh, the second parable is about the lost coin that was found. And the third parable is about the lost son who was found. And it's popularly titled the prodigal son. Probably the most famous of all the parables that Jesus uh, gave to us is this parable. And I always enjoy preaching from it, but I always enjoy the new insights that God gives to me as I get to preach this passage again and again. I'm pondering praying about um, the other half of the parable. I'm going to only preach on half of it today. And I'm pondering and praying about should I preach the other half next Sunday. So today we'll focus on the younger brother. There are two brothers in this parable. We'll focus on the younger brother. And uh, as the Lord leads, perhaps we'll be able to focus on the second brother, the elder brother, uh, in this story as well. This is the Word of God. Okay, you've lost already. <laughs> i tell you what, let's do it this way. Let me read it, and then I'll say this is the Word of God, and then y'all say we believe. Let's try it that way. Uh, always something new, isn't it? And Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went, and he hired himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. We believe it. Amen. Amen. One of the questions that this parable answers is the question that every human being wants to know. 
This one parable answers the question that every person living wants to know. Does God really love me? That makes all the difference in the world of what path you choose in this life. If you understand that the Father in heaven who created you, who loves you, He also has a plan for your life. If you know Him and run to Him and receive His grace and compassion and love, that life is the direction of eternal life. But if you choose to leave Him, to go away from Him, to run from God and not believe that He loves you, but that you have to love yourself, take care of yourself, you have to be a a one-person kind of independent lone ranger in life, and you have to make life the best you can for yourself without help, then that's the life of death. We're going to follow this story here, and we're going to think about the great love of God as we go along. And We're going to divide this story into two parts. One is the part about being lost and the price of being lost. What does it cost to be lost? Now, some of you have been a Christian so long, you have lost the lostness of being lost. You have forgotten what it's like to truly be out in the world without Jesus and without salvation. Some of you here today are still lost. You've never been found. You've never been saved. And you've yet to know Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Let's think together about the price of what it means to be lost. First of all, know for sure that Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Those who are lost are those who have never had that salvation experience, that born-again experience with Jesus Christ. And here's what's happening to all people who do not know Christ. When we run away from God, when we run away from the Father, when we don't understand how much He truly loves us. First of all, like the prodigal son who left home, we lose our identity. He was the son of a wealthy man. He belonged to a family. He belonged to a home. He had a father. He had parents. He had a brother. He had means. He had wealth. He had treasures. But he wanted what belonged to him selfishly and left home. Folks, there's nothing wrong with leaving home. In fact, I encourage all of you, uh, wherever you grow up, get away for a while. Get away from your family of origin for a while and see what the real world is all about out there. But as you leave, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the Christian values that your parents gave to you as you're trying to find your way in the world. The Bible says that this young man took his inheritance, which was not a bad thing, that's not the wrong thing to ask for, but he took what was his and he spent it on himself instead of investing it on others and being generous and compassionate like his own father was. And the Bible calls this loose living. Now the first thing he did was, He had money, he had means, and as long as you've got money and means, you've got what? Friends. You can always find somebody that likes to hang out with you if you have money and you have means. There's all kinds of uh, friends that will hang out with you. Uh, There are a lot of people who want to be around you. Uh, You can be as popular as you want to be as long as the the money and the means uh, last. But when they're gone, when they're gone... Those people are really not your friends. They're using you. They're taking advantage of what you have. They're being as selfish with their friendship to you as you're being selfish in your friendship with them. 
you know, we'll do anything in the world to fit in in this world. If you'll watch, if you'll just look around, you'll notice many, many ways that we try to fit in in this world. What you wear, the style of our hair, what the clothes that we choose, the shoes that we wear. We're all asking the question, will I fit in if I wear this? If I look like this, will I fit in? There was a story this week in the New York Times about uh, uh, high wires, just electric lines, that have a lot of shoes thrown up there and tied around it. Have you ever seen places like that? You ever drive down the road and, or walk down the street and you'd, on the high wire there's all these shoes that somebody's thrown up there? I always wonder, whose shoes are those up there? Why would they do that? And you know what the article concluded? It's a way of saying, I belong. We'll do just about anything to feel like we belong. And because this son, this prodigal son, left home, he found himself by himself, but as long as he could buy and celebrate and party and, and, and please other people, he always seemed to have friends. And folks, that's a mistake in this life. You cannot please the world. And as long as you're trying to please other people in order to have friends, you don't have real friends. And you will lose your identity. You will lose who is the real you if you're always trying to fit in, if you're always trying to bend your values, give up your values in order to be accepted by other people. And that's what this boy was doing. And because he was doing that, he was giving up his identity. And as he gave up his identity, he became very hungry. He found a job. He ran out of money and found a job. And the job he had took him to a place that he didn't want to be. In fact, it would have been very embarrassing for a Jewish boy to be feeding the hogs, to, be even, to even be around the, the unclean animals of this world that the Old Testament said don't consume any pork. And that's what he was doing. He was eating what the hogs were eating. He was with the hogs, lived with the hogs, and was a total embarrassment. I'll tell you, when you leave God and run away from God and try to make life on your own, you will soon find that you lose out on your friends, you lose your identity, and uh, you will be in an embarrassing place in life. And I'm going to tell you straight up, Jesus said that's what Satan's trying to do. See, Satan was setting a trap for this guy. And a lot of life lures us and looks great and looks enticing and looks pleasurable, but it's really a trap. It's really a trap. And this boy found himself trapped and homeless and by himself. And no one, the Bible says, was giving anything to him. So he lost his identity. He lost his blessings. He squandered his estate. And he also lost his values. So much so that he wouldn't even eat with the hogs. Life gets that way when we lose healthy relationships by trying to please everybody in the world, when we miss out on real genuine friends by trying to entertain the world in order to keep friends, whenever we run from God and try to steer our own way through life and tell God, leave me alone, and you know what the Father did? He left him alone. I'm going to tell you, the worst prayer you can pray is, God, leave me alone. God, get off my back. God, don't bother me. God, you tend to heaven and I'll tend to my life. 
That's the worst prayer you can pray. You know why? Because God will do that. God will leave you alone. And you'll have to get through this life all by yourself. And because we are sinners, we can't get into God's holy heaven. Because we are sinners, we are separated from holy God. And when life ends, all our future is going to be is a place called death and hell. That's all we have to look forward to. Folks, that's the price of being lost. You lose your identity, you lose your blessings, you lose your values, and you lose valuable, healthy relationships as well. But the scripture says that uh, when he came to his senses in verse 17, he came to his senses. Sometimes God has to peel away in our soul those things of the world that we've been trusting and hanging on to for our sense of security and well-being so that we are totally helpless and totally dependent upon God's mercy and grace. And folks, that's the posture of salvation. Until you understand that you are totally helpless without Christ and the cross of Jesus in order to get into God's holy heaven, until you understand that there's no salvation without the cross of Jesus Christ and the mercy and the grace of Almighty God, that there's nothing you can do to help yourself be saved. There's nothing you can do to help yourself enter into God's holy heaven and salvation from Christ. You cannot earn this. You cannot buy this. Uh, you, you cannot bargain for this from God. God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do that for you. I have a friend that said in the Korean War, God, if you'll just get me out of this foxhole and this uh, freezing weather when I get home, I'm going to change. I'm going to go back to church. And he made a deal with God. And when he got back to the States, he became an alcoholic. So you can't make a deal with God and be saved. You can only surrender. And say, Lord, you save me. Lord, you deliver me. Lord, your blood on the cross be my atoning salvation. When he came to his senses, he said, look at here what I'm in. I'm in a mess. And my father and his servants, they have it made. His servants, his slaves have it made compared to me. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? And then he begins to change direction, and that's called repentance. So the second part of this story, as we consider this prodigal son, is the path of being found. You say, if, if, you, if you're going down a path, then you would go to something. Well, he was found. He came to his senses. It's as if the Spirit of God began to speak to him. And he had a father that was waiting for him. This path of being found has two or three parts. The first part of this path of being found is the path or the part of repentance. Let's talk about repentance and what it truly, truly is. Repentance is not, let's talk about what it's not. Repentance is not moral resolve. In other words, I'm going to do better. It's not making a bargain with God saying, God, if you'll get me out of this mess, I'm going to do better. I'm not going to blow up at my kids anymore. I'm never ever going to look at pornography again. I'm never going to cheat on my hours at work. I'm going to stop using alcohol and tobacco. Repentance is not telling God that you're just sorry. God, I'm just sorry for my sin. 
Repentance is naming your sin and being aware of just how broken you really are without the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. This boy was eating what the hogs were eating. Anybody here ever fed hogs? You ever fed hog slop? You know what I'm talking about? Nasty, ain't it? Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I have a hard time eating corn these days because I think about this parable. You ever seen corn swell up in water? That's what the hogs were eating, and that's what he, he was eating too. And I'm here to tell you, that's where life takes you without Christ, without knowing Him. Repentance means that I am aware of just how sinful I truly am, and I'm willing to confess that sin. When we attended the Asbury Revival, they gave an invitation. And the woman who gave the invitation said, If you want to give your life to Christ today and repent of your sin, I want you to stand up. And several students stood up in that, in that meeting. And one of them was a young lady sitting on the front row right there. And she stood up and she said, Now I want you to come forward if you really want to give your life to Christ. And we're going to pray with you up here. And when they came up here to pray, uh, she embraced that, that young lady. That woman embraced, that gave the invitation. She embraced that young lady. And they put their arms around her and they began to pray. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God and that you were raised from the dead. And Jesus, I'm trusting you and the cross of Christ to be my salvation right now. And Father, I repent of my sin. And you know what she said next? We're going to pause for a while and let you all name your sins. For two or three minutes, it was solid silence. And then a rumble began. You could hear people repenting and naming their sins. When's the last time you truly named your sin to God and asked His forgiveness of your sin? You see, this kind of sin is a path of repentance of true worship. To understand that I am not only broken, but I am helpless without the mercy and the blood of Christ. It is worshiping Christ as our Savior and our Lord. That's the path of repentance. And when you're worshiping Jesus, you've turned away. That's what repentance means. I've turned around. Now, a lot of people are trying to turn around on their own. Lord, I'm not going to yell at my kids anymore. I'm not going to watch pornography anymore. All those things I mentioned a while ago. Lord, I'm going to start doing better. No, repentance is, Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I exalt you. Jesus, my whole life is all about you. Jesus, without you, I would be damned for devil's hell. Jesus, without you, I'd be lost forever. Jesus, without you, I would burn in hell. Jesus, without you, I would have nothing. Jesus, without you, oh Lord, I long for you. I need you. I worship you. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're all of what life is about. Jesus, I pursue you as you have already pursued me and when you worship him that way you're turning away from everything else you've always depended upon to bring you happiness and fun and joy in this life it's a path of repentance that's what it means to be found it's also the path of change and transformation there are three big theology words in our bible that talk about this transformation one of those words is called regeneration. Regeneration. It means being born again. 
Jesus said you must be born again. There must be a transformation of your soul, of your heart from the inside. God doesn't change you from the outside. He changes you from the inside. We can change our outside all day long. But Jesus called those Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They were not changed and transformed on the inside. This kind of regeneration, being born again, focuses upon Christ as our divine source of being different, being changed, being renewed, being transformed. Metanoia is that Greek word for regeneration and transformation. The Bible said it is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And if God can raise Jesus from the dead, He can change your heart and change mine through the Holy Spirit. There's another word in the Bible called recreation. Recreation means that we are recreated now in the image of God. We were once born into this world. That's our first birth. But because Christ lives in us and dominates our life, we are being transformed and recreated in the image of Christ. The Bible says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creature, a new creation, a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. And that word metanoia, transformation, is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Put on the new nature, Paul says, and be renewed, be transformed as you learn to know your Creator God and become like Him. Jesus makes a difference in our life. And He directs our path, He directs our steps, and He gives us an eternal future. Now, as Jesus changes you and transforms your life, this means that He makes a difference in your relationships. If you're married, it's in your marriage. If you're in a family, it's in your family. If it's with friends, it's with your friends. Jesus makes a change. And sometimes He doesn't always change the circumstances or those people around you. He's changing you within those circumstances. We want love, we want joy, and we want peace. But He might make you the agent of love, joy, and peace in the relationships that you have. He might even renew your purpose at work, not by changing your job description, but by changing you so that you have a new attitude. When you're transformed, it transforms your relationships with other people as well. So this is a path of repentance. It's a path of transformation. It's also a path of a new love. And we see this demonstrated here between the son and his father. The son says to the father, make me as one of your servants. Dad, I just want to be your servant. He truly underestimated the great compassion and love of his father. Listen to the words that Jesus puts together in this one sentence. He got up and he came to his father. Now listen to the description of the father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him. What this means is the father was down the path, down the lane, if you will, not waiting inside the house, but he left his house. He was waiting down the lane looking for his son to come home. It's the same image of the sheep that was lost and the shepherd left the 99 and went to find the one that was lost. 
It's the same image of the woman in the a previous parable that lost a coin and she cleaned out the whole house until she found that one coin. God is trying to find you. God knows where you are. God knows what's going on in your life. He's seeking you. That's His kind of love. His love pursues you and me. That's the love of God. He made you. He loves you. And that's what makes you special to Him. We heard that somewhere last night, didn't we? We sure did. All right, so the father saw him. The father felt compassion for him. He didn't tell the son, now son, you need to straighten up here. Or he didn't say to the son, I told you, I told you, I told you. You know how parents are tempted to do that, right? He didn't say to the son, now boy, if you straighten up and you live right, then I'm going to make you a servant. I may hire you. No, no. He knew that his son couldn't straighten up until he gave him a new identity or restored God's intended identity for him to start with. He felt compassion for him and he ran to his son and he embraced him and he gave him a big old smack on the cheek. Now dads, I still kiss my sons today. Because there was a time I didn't get to kiss my boy two years ago. And dads, I'm going to tell you, go after your kids. And I'm going to say, dads, lead the way to demonstrate the compassion of holy God that he has for you as you lead your family in righteous living and godly living and spiritual growth. And how did the son react? The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth, and I'm not worthy to be even called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet. This boy didn't have any clothes and didn't have any shoes. That's how bad off he was. And they said, bring the fatted calf. Let's kill it, let's eat, and let's have a barbecue, and let's celebrate. And that's what they did. The Bible says anytime one person comes to Christ, all the angels in heaven are singing and shouting and rejoicing. He said, for this son of mine was dead, he's come to life, he was lost and now he's been found. This is a new love that we experience when we come to the Father who wants to celebrate with us in our relationship with him. And today we give the invitation for you to run to Christ too. Just come on to the Father. Come on to Jesus. And the way you do that is be willing to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> I turn to you and I give my life to you. If you're willing to do that, while we sing this song here in a moment, I want you to come. Maybe somebody over here. Maybe somebody in here. Maybe somebody over here. The Father's waiting on you. And he wants to give you life eternal but you must choose him. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your salvation in Christ, your compassion, your love that seeks us out, searches for us, doesn't let go, doesn't give up. And Father, may we come to a true realization of our sin and willingness to confess our sin, a willingness to truly repent and allow Jesus Christ to be our Lord and our Savior. And I pray that today 
some person will come and give their life to Christ. And we'll pray that prayer with them to help them turn their life to Jesus. Maybe there's a family that wants to come and unite with our church from the sister church. We pray that they'll make that decision according to your leading and your guiding in their life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.